0: Piece number 223204 and 223225, Richard Campfield et al. versus Safelight Group Inc. et al., argument not to exceed 15 minutes per side. Mr. Olson, you may proceed.
1: May it please the court, my name is Kurt Olson. I represent the appellant, Richard Campfield, or appellants, and Ultrabond and cross Lee uh, in this matter. I've reserved five minutes for the butto. As as we stated in our opening brief, this case is a classic rendition of David versus Goliath played out in the vehicle glass repair and replacement industry, which the acronym is VGRR. There are three issues in this proceeding upon appeal. The first issue is whether the district court misapplied Lexmark in ruling that Alterbond failed to present uh, adequate evidence to raise a question for a jury on the issue of proximate cause. The second issue is whether the court misapplied this court's decision in Grubbs v. Sheekley group in ruling that certain statements in its broad-spectrum marketing campaign which were all the same, certain statements were not commercial advertising or promotion in accordance with Grubbs. The third issue is whether Safelight's counterclaims plead all the necessary elements or that they can prove all the necessary elements of the six or seven claims that they have pled against our client. With respect to proximate cause, the seminal case of course is Lexmark and the court, the Supreme Court in that case, held that a plaintiff suing under the Lanham Act, section 1125A, regarding false advertising, quote, ordinarily must show economic or reputational injury flowing directly from the deception wrought by the defendant's advertising, and that occurs when the deception of consumers causes them to withhold trade from the plaintiff. Recently, the Second Circuit, and we submitted this, Your Honors, in uh, yesterday for uh, Supplemental Authority, the Second Circuit in Sousa in interpreting Lexmark addressed the question of whether Lexmark abrogated their previous decisions on proximate cause. And the Second Circuit explicitly stated that not only did it not abrogate their prior decisions, it reinforced their decisions on proximate cause. So Lexmark does not set forth some new, different standard on proximate cause. The traditional principles still apply. With I, guess,
2: res- I guess for me the question here is whether you have enough evidence to survive summary judgment to show economic or reputational injury. You have declarations of various shops, and you have your damages expert. What exactly... Are you pointing to to say that your client had has documented economic or reputational
1: injury? Uh, first, Your Honor, it, the evidence shows that Safelite directly targeted long crack repair, which is the repair of windshield cracks longer than six inches. It's in the documents. There are memos. As soon as the roll eggs were passed, which Safelite and Mr. Campfield were part of that committee, that Safelite set out to. The attack on long crack repair, they referred to it. And it said it cannot be about safety because that's not an issue. So they directly focused on that. Mr. Campfield is a leader in this industry in terms of the evidence that we presented. We presented a consumer survey that showed that 24.5 to 30.5 percent of consumers, but for the misrepresentation, no other intervening factor, but for the misrepresentations, would choose long crack repair. So there's no no question on that. But there's nothing in a survey saying they would choose your client to perform the long crack repair, is there? Not in that survey, Your Honor. But what it does show is that there is not a – the district court ruled that a consumer might have a number of intervening factors in, in the decision to do long crack repair. That survey proves that on that percentage, there were no intervening factors. It was exclusively the misrepresentation. What our client showed, because he has – hundreds of customers, several hundred customers, nine of whom came forward and testified that because of Safe Flight's misrepresentations, they lost business for long crack repair that had even been scheduled. Mr. I Scott. I don't, I mean, which particular declaration are you pointing to? Dale Scott. Who? Dale Scott, Your Honor. And he, that's a one-to-one relationship because Mr. Scott is the only, the evidence showed that he was the only repair facility operating in Alaska. So nobody else in Alaska is performing lawn crack repair.
3: And he he was using uh, the uh, repair material that your client is involved in supplying. Is that right?
1: Correct, Your Honor. We also showed that Mr. Campfield, in the evidence, had 50% of the market, according to Mr. McLean, Justin McLean, the financial expert, we also, there's another thing, because the district court ignored that uh, there's three uh, opportunities here. There are the uh, sales from Mr. Canfield, who operates his own business, that he lost himself because of the misrepresentation to consumers. There are the sales from Mr. Canfield and Ultrabond to the commercial customers who were misled, and he lost that opportunity. And there are a third, the sales of product to uh, commercial customers that came forward and testified who in turn lost the opportunity because of Safe lights misrepresentations. That is perfectly consistent with, the le- with Lexmark's admonishment of flowing directly. And in fact, so in a non-comparative claim, this is even stronger. So in Lexmark, there were two issues. The uh, static control made two allegations. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm looking at Mr. Scott's. Uh
2: Statement. The only thing I see where he talks about loss is he says in paragraph 14, I believe my long crack repair business is definitely being affected by SafeLat's misleading advertising about the six-inch rule. Is there anything else in that declaration where he talks about any loss or
1: impact on his business? In our open, the, all these plain, all these declarants were deposed, Your Honor, and in our opening brief we cite the deposition transcript where he explicated on that, and he said expressly that quite a few customers, he had lost opportunities because they had talked to SafeLight, they had been told that you can't do long crack repair, or it was not safe. So it's not just the declarations that are in evidence, but as we cited in our opening brief, there are the follow-on deposition transcripts.
2: And these are all cited in your in your opening brief? Yes, Your Honor.
1: Okay. We also have the— So
3: You really have two tiers of claims. One is that as the supplier of the product— your supplies that are sent would be bought by other commercial entities are not being bought. And secondly, your Mr. Camfield himself has a business which is losing.
1: Yes, business. which lost business as a result of these misrepresentations. What did he? What documentation does he have of lost business to himself? Uh, it's in his. Well, Your Honor, I think in terms of lost business of himself. That is, would be based on the lost opportunity because of the consumer survey, which showed that more customers. So SafeLite and Mr. Canfield compete directly in Grand Junction, as Mr. Uh, McLean testified, or put in his declaration. So the consumer survey in that, for that market would show Mr. Canfield was injured by virtue of the but-for analysis. Was this a national survey? Yes, Your Honor. It was an expert report. It is you know, part of the record. Available for Your Honors to, to view. And there was no – the, the uh, defendants safe like tried to dial bear Mr. Burford, Beford, and the court denied that. So that that's the issue in terms of the uh, proximate cause issue. With res- The other decision we're appealing on from the district court is whether – Two specific channels of statements, because the statements are the same across the board. They either, Safelite either says that long crack repair cannot uh, be done and a windshield must be replaced if the crack is longer than six inches, or they say that cracks up to six inches can be repaired, implying that anything above that cannot be repaired. And those are the type one, type two statements that the district court, the convention applied there. Well, can't SafeLite just make the decision
2: that it's going to just have that policy, that they will not repair over six inches, even if it could be done? They're just not doing it. I mean, how is that
1: deceptive to tell a customer, we're just not going to repair it? And and, and that would not be, Your Honor, but that's not what they do. They state as an objective fact that it's not repairable, not that it's our policy. And we brief this in both the opening and the third brief. So in Safelite, actually, the testimony of their 30B6 witness and the evidence shows that Safelite, because of its market power, its perceived expertise sets the objective standard for windshield crack repair, which is they say it's six inches, even though the industry, including Safelite in 2007, reaffirmed in 2014, said up to 14 inches is repairable. That's a set standard that the industry approved, and also certified by the American National Standards Institute. So there's no basis, and the evidence in the record shows that there's no basis for the six inch rule. It's simply there. But what it does do, because SafeLight makes all of its money on replacements, not repair.
3: Your red light is on. Yep. So we'll rely on your briefs for your other points.
1: Thank you.
4: May it please the Court, Matt Karras, for the Safe Flight defendants. I'll just turn straight to proximate cause because that's the dispositive issue um, for all of these issues that, that, that have, are being discussed here. Lexmark requires uh, a showing of harm. That's the fifth element. Uh, uh, this survey that was referenced, Mr. Beefort's survey, uh, the case law says that um, that kind of evidence goes to deception, whether or not there's deception. If consumers are deceived, that doesn't solve the proximate cause issue. Lexmark is very clear that in order to proceed, um, every plaintiff must show harm. So what do we have here that's an attempt to show harm? We have the declarations, uh, and we have, uh, uh what was re- referenced to be, uh, Mr. Canfield's own, own business. With respect to the declarations, there's no, there's nothing in those, uh, declarations that is a statement of, Uh, lost business. Uh, First off, it's by distributors. It's not the one-to-one situation that we had in in Lexmark. Um, But
3: why couldn't the distributors' loss of business then translate back to Campfield and the plaintiff as the supplier?
4: uh, It it, it is possible if there is a one-to-one circumstance that was described in Lexmark where there are other potential causes. Uh, where you have this inter- intermediary purchaser uh, like those commercial customers are. Uh, Lexmark was very, very careful to say in this unique circumstance which, where, by definition, every loss to um, a commercial customer would apply to the ultimate plaintiff, then maybe we'll let you proceed. That's not the case here. Those declarants uh, testified themselves that there were other causes for lost business. They weren't part of the network. Uh, they didn't do advertising multiple causes that uh, that did not exist in Lexmark, uh, but they didn't even say I lost business because of the dollar bill rule. What they said was if there was no dollar bill rule and if a customer wanted a repair and if those customers chose me and if they chose me enough that I would buy more product, then uh, I would have lost business. that is speculation on top of supposition on top of guesswork, and exactly what Lexmark did not permit but did, more
3: did uh, your opponent in the oral argument is relying on deposition testimony. How would you address that uh, th-
4: that, that is what th- 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 those um, declarants expounded on just that uh, idea in their depositions it 's not just the declaration. They testified in their depositions uh, that it was uh, a kind of, if consumer demand um, uh, increased, then I would have business. Mr. Mr. Scott said, I absolutely believe that customer demand would increase uh, and I would be pursuing more of the business. He didn't even say he was pursuing the market. That was his testimony at deposition. But what is um, extraordinary to me is that none of those declarants tied uh, any of this to commercial speech each one of them said that if they lost a customer if they lost a customer it was because of their insurance policies mr fleet said all of his consumer business involves insurance claims that's r1525 at page 94 and he said none of the insurance companies i work with permit long crack repair Mr. Bray, 132-2 at page 77, said, when a customer calls in for their claim, their insurance won't pay for it. Mr. Scott, again, 132-17 at page 95, said, it starts with insurance because it would not be paid for by their insurance. So what we have here is SafeLite explaining to insurance customers the insurance policies. And those insurance policies do not permit long crack repair. And so SafeLight says you cannot fix a long crack because you can't uh, under the policy. That's not advertising, that's acting as a third party administrator for an insurance company and describing uh, what, what's in those insurance policies. So
3: well, it seems interesting that SafeLight, who according to at least the allegations of your opponent, makes the most money on replacements, would be telling the insurance companies, as a third-party administrator, you should not repair if it's more than the dollar bill length, you should replace. And therefore, according to your opponents, is changing the market for repair business And logically, if there is less repair business, then your opponent, who makes its money through the product and through the repair business, would be harmed
4: financially. Well, a a couple of responses to that. First off, um, SafeLite didn't invent the dollar bill rule. It has been around far before SafeLite.
3: But it's using the dollar bill rule.
4: Well, it, it is. It is.
3: And according to your opponent, the group of 16, including Safe Flight and them, decided that the long cracks could be repaired up to 14 inches.
4: Uh, right, but the, but the but the record with respect to that is that is that um, that up to 14 inches specifically stated. If you refuse to fix cracks longer than six inches because SafeLight does not believe a seven inch crack is repairable, then you will not violate the Rolex. Um, uh, The the testimony here is that uh, to repair a crack, it has to be repeatable, durable, invisible, and provide customer service, and long cracks do not do that. You can tape a bumper to a car, you can inject resin into a crack, uh, but it's not a repair. And it's most importantly, it's not a repair under the insurance policies, and it's the insurers who dictate, pursuant to their policies, uh, because they want happy customers. Uh, that you cannot fix a long crack. Um, Safelite guarantees that its repairs to windshields will pass all state safety inspections. Mr. Campfield testified in his deposition uh, that uh, the states of Maine and Connecticut. Uh, will not pass an, an annual inspection on a car if there's a repaired lawn crack. So, under SafeLight's own guarantee, it cannot fix a lawn crack. But most importantly, again, it is an administrator for insurance company policies. The insurance company policies establish the dollar bill rule, not SafeLight.
0: I understand that SafeLight operates in several capacities. One is its role with insurance companies. But another is, I mean, it does direct repair, repairs, correct?
4: It does, it does direct repairs by, uh, as the third-party administrator, directing Only consumers as... to its shops.
3: So you can't walk in off the street without insurance and say to Safe Flight, please fix my windshield?
4: You can. You can. A consumer can walk in outside of the insurance concept and say, can you fix my windshield? That, that is correct. But in this case, there's no evidence at all of a consumer who would have used a, a long crack repair um, being, ha- having any kind of change in their um, consumer decision based on anything SafeFlight said. With respect to Mr. Campfield himself, where he says his own repair business, there's no evidence where Mr. Campfield said, I lost this customer because SafeFlight got in the way. The only evidence is in the McLean report that says, Mr. Campfield operates in Grand Junction, Colorado, and SafeLight operates in Grand Junction, Colorado. Competition is not proximate cause. It's not, you cannot presume damage just because you're a competitor. Lexmark made clear that you have to actually show um, uh, harm. You actually have to establish harm. And in the cases in the Sixth Circuit and Lidochem that let a case go forward, There was a direct attack calling out the competitor. There's poison in your fertilizer. It said the fertilizer that has poison is yours. And then they presented, both on the commercial context, uh, distributors who said, we will not distribute your product anymore. And then, in addition, a list of customers and consumers who said, we will not buy fertilizer from these distributors. So there was a showing of proximate cause, there was evidence of proximate cause. Here there's none of that. You've got the Clarence who said, if maybe there might be demand, maybe I'd buy more. Let me ask you, um, I don't know if this is particularly relevant, maybe it is, but not
2: just from, if you would, um, pardon me. But uh, does um, SafeLight have a resin that could do the long repair that it manufactures, or or is this something proprietary to UltraBond or? that does the long repair?
4: Uh, Ultrabond just buys other people's resins.
2: Um, Okay. So this resin is available to both Safelight and Ultrabond to make long repairs if they want to make it?
4: Absolutely. But again, uh, Safelight cannot repair a long crack. It's not a repair no more than taping your bumper back to your car is a repair by a body shop. It has been rejected for 35 years. Well, let's say a customer
2: comes into a Safelight auto repair place and says, and and you tell them the, the dollar rule and they say well, I've heard from Ultrabond or other places that you can repair the lawn cracks and I'd like to have that done. What would SafeLight do? Would it say well, sorry, we just can't handle it or would they go ahead and do the lawn
4: repair? Yes, they'd say we, 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 we can't do that just, to, just as... Okay, so as a matter of policy they will never it's do contradictory
0: a... contradictory to the position that uh, Safe Flight took it in an earlier time, as Mr. Campbell says?
4: No, it is not. Safe, Safe Flight has never repaired long cracks, ever.
0: But I, Wait, no, I didn't ask you whether it did or not, but was, was it on a report that said it was acceptable to do long crack repairs, and did it sign off on that as an appropriate means of fixing?
4: Safe Flight was part of an industry committee that discussed um, what is an acceptable standard. Over a period of time, consistently said no more than six inches.
3: I thought Mr. Safe K- Flight signed on to the statement that long cracks... Up to 14 inches could be repaired.
4: Right, uh, right, and I'm I'm trying to
3: to. Tell Sorry, I, we're interrupting <laughs> you. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so get to far. it. <laughs> um, uh,
4: so they voted against anything more than six inches. Mr. Campfield threatened lawsuits uh, and defamation cases uh, against them, and they said, "Fine, if you want to fix a 14-inch repair, we will we will let that go in the rule as long as it is clear that." N- those who will only do six inches are in compliance with that rule. So Safe Light itself said, "Never more than six for us."
0: Well, you might have embroidered some on what's actually in the written document that's been referred to. I mean, you might have told us what you see as the fuller story, but that's not what we would derive from the documentation at the time, is it?
4: Right, but no, that that's in the that is in the record and in the depositions that okay. that's how it unfolded. And then when that 14 inch rule went up to ANSI which is you know kind of deliver it up to get it the rep- the stamp on it the committee voted to go back down to six inches and not have the 14- inch rule anymore and then the safe Flight representatives resigned and after that fact mr. campfield in control of that committee put it back up to 14 inches and submitted it so at the why time safe, safe Flight-
3: why would safe Flight resign if ANSI voted in their favor to reduce it to six
4: because of Mr. Canfield's threats of, of defamation lawsuits and the like, and they thought the entire committee was dysfunctional, and so they, the, the two representatives from SafeLight resigned and refused to go forward because the, the whole experience was dysfunctional. Um, but SafeLight was clear uh, from the get-go, and, and again, in particular, it's, it, when you say wouldn't it be more profitable um, for them just to do replacements, SafeLight's business is as a third-party administrator. That's that. That is its function, and its that customers is primary in that circumstance. Business function? I'm sorry. That its
0: primary business function.
4: Yes, it's it's.
0: Because um, I uh, had the impression that it functioned in several different capacities.
4: It, 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 it does as it as administrator for insurance companies, and, and the administrator straight is an administrator for eighty percent of the insurance companies out there. Its customers, the insurance companies, uh, and insurance companies as is as, as even stated in the briefs, love crack repair. So uh, SafeLight has more of a business incentive to keep its insurance comp- customers satisfied uh, by applying these policies that don't allow for a six-inch rule and then keep the end consumers satisfied by not repairing cr- cracks that uh, make people angry because there's, uh, they're visible and not durable and they, and they, and they crack out. Uh, but, but
3: there is a big cost differential, I would assume, for a consumer who's not insured uh, as between a repair versus a replacement, assuming that the repair works.
4: For an uninsured consumer, yes, that's, that's true. But we, we really have to get back in this case to proximate cause. With respect to that, there's no evidence in this record of any consumer anywhere who says, um, I don't have insurance and I walked into a Safe Light shop and I wanted to fix the lawn crack and they and they told me i couldn't, and even in that circumstance that 's not even commercial advertising that's a that's a a one to one business conversation but in this case, we have to get back to proximate cause there This case has gone on for eight years for four years after spending thirty years attacking. The entire industry and blaming other insurance companies and other TPAs. Mr. Campfield had over four years to produce evidence in this case of any kind that a consumer actually made a different choice based on advertising. Lexmark says, and Justice Scalia ends his opinion by saying, no matter what your relief, whether it's a, a literal falsity, whether you're asking for an injunction, uh, as they were in Lexmark, you cannot proceed without proving and providing evidence of harm. And you can't do it with a consumer survey, which goes to deception, not harm, and you can't do it with a bunch of speculative declarations that don't even identify lost customers, but just say, hey, maybe if the world was different, I would buy more.
3: Would it be enough if um, your opponent had found a customer who said that explicitly? Would that be enough to show proximate cause?
4: If a customer pointed the customer to an advertisement, says
3: there was an ad by Safe Flight that said you should replace your windshield if the crack is more than six inches. And therefore, I did the Safe Flight, but I really would have preferred to use the Ultra Bond product at the Campfield facility.
4: That would be that. That would be a start. It would be at least a start. Um, we don't have it in this case, and 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 all of the declarants are in the insurance field, every single one of them, so you don't have the consumer who walked into the shop and provided that evidence. It is an excellent question, though, if you could find one person somewhere in Alaska, and and Mr. Scott from Alaska, to be clear on the record, said he didn't know if he was the only um, person in that business in Alaska. He said specifically in his deposition that might not be the case. But if you could find one, in Alaska, of one customer somewhere, does that entitle under the Lanham Act uh, a lawsuit to disgorge uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of profits? I think the answer to that is no.
3: Your red light has been on for a long time. Thank you very much. We'll hear the rebuttal.
1: Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, I'd like to clear up a few misconceptions. First of all, the Rolags Committee, although Light Post, Mm -hmm. after this case, tries to argue that it was dysfunctional, the fact is they voted unanimously, and that included Safelite, that 14 inches was the repairable standard. The idea that Mr. Canfield strong-armed and Safelight, this behemoth company, would all of a sudden just roll over, and this is supported by Safelight's own internal documents. Their expert, Dale Irwin, wrote in an email that windshield cracks up to 24 inches are safe and durable. So th- this is there is no dispute and in fact when SafeLight began its attack on long crack repair they specifically said it in an email shortly after the eggs were passed that the attack on long crack repair should not be about safety not an issue and then they went to insurance companies and this is another email where the same individual Paul Sifco states so far, insurance companies have bought our uncertainty argument about long crack repair. So, this is revisionist history. With respect to Mr. Scott and his testimony, he specifically, I don't recall anything in the record, and certainly nothing is before the briefing, that Mr. Scott testified that he might not be the only uh, vendor of long crack repair in Alaska. So, that, I, I don't. Believe that is anywhere in the briefing, and that is the testimony. It's also cited by Justin McLean, the expert report.
3: So, your opponent is saying that there's nobody who says, because of the advertising of safe flight, I did not get a long crack repair.
1: So, the traditional uh, one of the traditional methods to show deception. And, and this would go to Mr. Beeford's consumer survey with a but-for analysis where he said 24 to 30.5 percent would choose long crack repair but for SafeLights misstatements. Even in Lexmark, which dealt with Lexmark's printer cartridges and static control, which had a chip, there was not the issue. They didn't go to a consumer to say, oh, I was deceived by, uh, by Lexmark's misrepresentation that the prebate was required a return by law and that, that uh, static controls chip that was placed in there to prevent them from working you know, misled me. This notion that you have to go to and bring a parade of consumers to the court to show evidence of proximate cause is found nowhere in any case. The traditional measure is an expert consumer survey. You see this, in, for example, in American Home, which was cited. And there, the Sixth Circuit ruled that the uh, plaintiff did not show uh, approximate cause because the survey went to a consumer, not to the home inspectors. And so it was kind of a disjointed survey, which was not applicable. But here, our survey does go to the end user of that product. So it's directly applicable. The other thing that... The evidence shows in our brief is that SafeLight admits they, the insurance companies, look to SafeLight as the subject matter expert on what is repairable. Mr. Heron, the former CFO, said that. There's admissions where SafeLight itself says, We set the industry standard. All of this is in our brief. These are internal emails. So, again, it's not a policy. Insurance companies aren't determining what is safe, they're looking to SafeLight because they are a behemoth. And SafeLight is, as soon as the rollouts were passed, that's when the attack began. And it began because SafeLight realized they were going to lose tremendous amounts of business because replacements are so far more profitable. And it does harm consumers because consumers, even if they're insurance clients, they pay a deductible. And so they are, they are out of pocket for that deductible. And, and in fact, there is an email in our, uh, in our opening brief from Mr. McMillan, a SafeLite uh, sales rep to insurance companies, where he says many customers would like long crack repair. This came out right uh, in 2005, I believe, when the Rolex committee was meeting. Because it's a less expensive alternative. And, by the way, Mr. Camfield testified, and this is in his expert report, long crack repair is safe. It meets all federal standards. It's the same standard that applies in New Zealand, and which is 14 inches, New Zealand and Australia. And, by the way, as Mr. McLean said, when Belron, which is Safe Light's parent company, was forced to stop misleading consumers about the repairability length in New Zealand, which has a, the same 14-inch standard, Mr. Canfield's business went up, 50% as soon as that deception stopped. That's in Mr. McLean's report. And so that's evidence of direct harm. And lastly, Mr. Scott testified absolutely that SafeLight, his consumers who wanted lawn crack repair would talk to SafeLight. they would be told that you can't do it or it's not safe, and he said it happened many times and he lost that business. And that's a classic example of injury flowing directly within Lexmark's uh, standard.
3: Thank you. Thank you both for your argument. And the case will be submitted. Your Honor, your Honor, I had to
4: cite to the Mr. Scott's testimony where he said he might have you. I'll ask it if you want that Well, we, we've
3: got all of the testimony, so thank you very much.